honor the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 27. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the moving of those things that are shaken. As of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. In essence, the writer in Hebrews, which is commonly attributed to Paul, was saying that anything that can be shaken will be shaken. The things that are man-made in your life will collapse. And the things that are of a heavenly origin will stand. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. That you be not soon shaken in mind nor troubled, neither by spirit, neither by, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is as God, sitteth on the temple of God, shewing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now you know what beholdeth, withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until it be taken out of the way. And then shall that bricket be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming even him who is, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all powers and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness.
One more reading of Scripture is found in 1 Kings 19. Verse 7. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went to the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither into a cave and lodged there and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. I had no idea that Brother Justin would cover much of what I was going to say today. I have been so busy this week, I didn't get a chance to look at the lesson, so I guess the Lord hid it from me. I had no idea. But as I was coming to church Wednesday night, just before the three-lane hill over here, I think they call that what McCall Hill, McLean Hill. And the Lord began talking to me about this message tonight, this morning. And by the time I got to church, five minutes later, I already knew what I was going to say today. The message that I shall bring to you today, and I'll do my best to be brief, but I'm not going to cut out what the Lord has given me. I shall entitle this message, The Great Collision. The Great Collision. Dear Lord, I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your word. God, I'm nothing in your sight, but I ask, O oh Lord, that you would take this anointed word and anoint our hearts and our minds, our ears, that we would be able to receive what you would have to say unto us. Oh, Lord God, we're a needy people today. We ask, oh, Lord God, that your word would go forth and let it not return void. Speak and minister to the hearts that are in this building today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. 
And everyone said amen. You may be seated. Webster's defines the word collision to come together with solid or indirect impact. A coming violently into contact. Something that is difficult and often coming from unknown origins. On April 14th, 19 and 12, in the depths of the Atlantic Ocean around 11.40 p.m., Mr. Fleet spotted an iceberg in Titanic's path. He rammed the lookout bell three times and telephoned the bridge to inform 6th Officer James Moody. Fleet asked, is anyone there? Moody replied, yes, what do you see? Fleet replied, iceberg right ahead. After thinking, Fleet Moody relayed the message to Murdoch, who ordered the quartermaster Richard Hitchens to change the ship's course. The impact with the iceberg was long thought to have produced a huge opening in Titanic's hull, not less than 300 feet in length, 10 feet above the level of the keel, as one writer later put it. At the British inquiry following the accident, Edward Wilding, chief naval architect for Harlan and Wolfe, calculating on the basis of the observed flooding of forward compartments 40 minutes after the collision, testified that the area of the hull open to the sea was somewhere about 12 square feet. He also stated, I believe that it must have been in places not a continuous rip, but in different openings must have extended along an area of around 300 feet to account for the flooding in several compartments. The gaps of the longest which measure about 39 feet long appeared to have followed the line of the hull plates. This suggests that the iron rivets along the plate seems snapped off or popped open to create narrow gaps through which the water flooded. No one could believe that the great ship was sunk by a little sliver. Only 706 survived out of the total of 2,240 passengers and crew, leaving 1,534 souls to perish from the disaster. One survivor remarked that he could not attend a ball game because every time that the batter would, would bat a ball and it would go out into the field and the roar of the crowd would begin to excitedly uh, respond that his memory would go back to the time that he could hear from the boat uh, the roar of the crowd uh, of those in the water begging for somebody, anybody to save them. Some 1,000 534 souls screaming to the top of their lungs for a little bit of relief. September 11th, 
2001. The collapse of the World Trade Center occurred during the terrorist attacks after the twin tires were struck by two hijacked commercial airliners. One World Trade Center was hit at 8.46 a.m. Eastern Time and collapsed at 10.28 a.m. Two World Trade Center was hit at 9.03 a.m. and collapsed at 9.59 a.m. The resulting debris severely damaged or destroyed more than a dozen other adjacent and nearby structures, ultimately leading to the collapse of Seven World Trade Center at 5.21 p.m. A total of 2,763 people perished in the crashes, fires, and subsequent collapses, including 2,192 civilians, 343 firefighters, and 71 law enforcement officers as well as all passengers and crews on the airlines, which included 147 civilians and 19 hijackers. Tom Canavan was on the 47th floor of the North Tower on the conference call in his boss's office when the American Airlines Flight 11 struck the plane. Uh, a plane struck his building at 8.46 a.m. on September 11, 2001. Canavan and his colleagues from First Union, a brokerage firm, began to slowly descend the stairwells to safety, passing police, firefighters, and Port Authority rescue workers on their way up to rescue wounded survivors. While they were trying to escape, a second plane hit the second tower, Canavan said he and his four of his colleagues emerged in the underground area of the World Trade Center filled with shops. That's when the South Tower collapsed. Less than 30 minutes later, the North Tower would also fall. Quote, I remember yelling to the people in front of me or trying to yell anyway to get in a doorway, said Canavan. I don't even know if I got it out of my mouth when I felt the thump, thump, and then I was smashed to the ground like a bug. Everything went dark. His last thoughts of his son's upcoming third birthday and how he would never meet the little girl his pregnant wife was carrying. Soon, however, he started to taste grit in my teeth, and I started to smell smoke, and I said, okay, I'm alive. Kenavan said that he and the still unidentified man were saved because of a large cement wall had fallen over them, creating a safe pocket in the pile of twisted steel, rebar, and debris. They began the painstaking process of crawling and digging their way upwards through the rubble. After what might have been 20 minutes, they saw a little peephole of light and got their first fresh breath of air. I squeezed myself through the hole. I scraped from head to toe. I was hurt and I didn't feel a thing. More, a few more minutes underground than he would have certainly perished when the North Tower collapsed at 10.28 a.m., while most of his co-workers also escaped, four died. This isn't a day that I don't, doesn't go by that I don't think of something that day, whether it's a person or whether it's a noise 
or whether it's a plane flying low, said Canavan. The great collision. All is normal for a while. Nothing seems to be out of place as life continues on its humdrum day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute. As we go about living our lives just as we always have, having no idea that something is coming our way, that there is a tragedy that is awaiting us just around the bend. I believe that God has impressed in my spirit today to warn somebody that a great collision is coming your way. You may not receive it. You may not believe me. But it doesn't matter whether you believe me or not. There is a great collision. And when that collision comes, it will come with a sickening, deafening roar, earth-shattering and ear-splitting. As suddenly your calm world has been turned upside down and inside out and nothing seems to be right anymore. Everything has gone crazy and nothing seems right anymore. Normal is now gone and that normal is the new norm. Something happens. Something is going to happen. I need someone to pray right now. Come on, would you call on the name of the Lord? Everything seems normal. Everything's going your way. Everything's going all right. You've got your plans made of what you're going to do tomorrow, what you're going to do next week, maybe what's going to occur next month or even next year or a decade from now, you have the short-range plans and the long-range plans of how did you expect your life to turn out, but yet there could be something that is coming your way that would be much larger of a thing that you could ever expect that would turn your house and your world upside down, and you think, my God, God, what has happened in my world? Things have gone crazy. I don't understand. I, my God, where are you, Lord? I'm looking for you. I can't find you, Lord. I didn't expect you to be jumping up and down. I didn't expect you to be amen and me and raising your hand saying, that's right, preach it, Brother Motes. Didn't expect that. This is not one of the easiest messages to have to bring forth. 
But I'm telling somebody here today that God is allowing a great collision your way. You may already be in the midst of your great collision. It may be that things have already begun to be upside down and suddenly you find yourself in a place that you can't recognize anymore because everything has gone crazy and nothing seems right and you're holding on by your fingertips and you think, God, I don't know how much more I can hold on. I don't know how much more than I can bear, Lord. You gotta do something. You gotta do something and quick, Lord. You gotta help me, Lord. You gotta move in my life. And God is going to allow this to occur in your life. Catastrophically unnerving. Whereas you're normally cool, calm, and collected, you're shaken. You don't understand. Disastrously explosive, powerfully hostile. And you think, my God, what have I done to deserve this? What have I done to deserve all of this? It's not fair, God, that you would allow this great collision, this great impact of violence in my life. Why would you allow such a thing? I'll never forget the story. That Brother Daryl McCoy told me If my memory serves me correct, they were headed on their way home from their ranch. They live in Port Arthur. And they were up this way. Their ranch is somewhere on this side of San Augustine. And they were on the highway headed home in the wee hours of the morning. And as they're traveling on their highway at the Texas state speed of 70 miles an hour, and they come up on a viaduct as they're climbing the hill to cross over, and suddenly on the wrong side of the road comes a man pumped full of drugs, high as a kite, going down their side of the road coming straight at them, also at 70 miles an hour. Brother McCoy says, I'll never forget the sound of the crash. He said it was the most sickening sound I've ever heard in my life. He said, I thought, well, this is it. We're going to glory. We're gone. It's over in just a matter of seconds now. And then suddenly the crash is over. And it's dead quiet. Sister McCoy was driving. 
said, I reached over and touched my wife, and she moved, and I knew we were alive. The impact of that crash, which was a total of 140 miles an hour, hitting a brick wall, broke nearly every bone in his body and bruised them to the point his rest of his muscles were bruised so bad that he had to learn how to walk all over again. His wife was put into surgery for several things that the crash caused. Miraculously, they survived the crash. After the crash, Brother McCoy suffered from cancer come upon him. And then it retreated for a while and then it come back. All of the struggle of this man and his dear wife. The Lord spoke to me as I was contemplating what he was put in my spirit Wednesday afternoon on the way to church. And these words came into my mind and I shall repeat them to you today. In reference to the great collision, the Lord said, it is not meant to destroy, but to change. It is not meant to destroy, but to change. Jesus made the statement to the disciples. He said in the last days, perilous times shall come. Horrible times will come in the last days. Times that you don't even know if you can endure them. And I believe with all of my heart that we are much closer than we realize. And so God is stepping forward to show us how to bear the perilous times before he returns. I believe that God will step back and allow certain things to buffet you lest you become exalted above measure. There'll be a great struggle, a collision, something that pushes against you and tries to destroy and to decimate you if at all possible. But I declare unto you today, once again I say it, as the Lord put it in my heart, it's not meant to destroy. It's meant to change and prepare you for another world I declare unto somebody in this house I want to be ready I've got to make it I've got to make it all the way and the trouble be in my lot then so be the case but I've got to make it I've got to make it I can't afford to be lost I can't afford to miss the boat I can't afford to wake up in hell We've come a society now that has become so numb to the things of God. 
that we have dismissed as a society all of the things of God. If the Lord tarries, this nation will become a nation that never acknowledges God of any sort. The only God will be the God of their own selves. Unresponsive. Not answerable to anyone. But we're living in a world now where God says, I've got to prepare my church. I've got to get them ready. I've got to make them ready. And so there must be some hard times that must come. There must be some difficult times that will come. And they're not going to understand. And they're not going to be able to comprehend all that they see is fear and terror all around them. All they see is destruction on every hand. And they think, my God, my life is coming apart. I don't know what's going to happen next, Lord. What are you doing? to me Lord are you going to take away everything from me and that's what the preacher said this morning talking about Job Job sitting in his house and somebody come by and said this destruction has happened and while the words are in his mouth somebody else comes in and says thus and such has happened and while the words are yet in his mouth another comes and then another Job's sitting there trembling from all of the things, reeling from the shock of the news that has given him. I feel an unclean spirit that is trying to stop this message. In the name of the Lord, I rebuke you, devil. I command you to keep your mouth shut. In the name of the Lord, I command you to leave. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He never lifted his word against his God. But that didn't stop the tears from rolling down his cheeks and dripping off of his chin. That didn't stop him from shaking from all of the, the shock that had come upon him. None of that stopped, but yet he's human being. He's human and he feels the effects of all of these things as they affect him one after another. His wealth is gone. How will he pay his bills? How will he support his family? How will they now live? What's going to happen next? Will he be put in debtor's prison for all of the outgoing bills that he still has? What's going to go on now? And then he's got some graves he's got to dig from his kids. It's dying from a great wind that come out of nowhere. Job, you all right? The Lord giveth. And the Lord takes away. Be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. I'm still going to bless his name. 
And then the after effects comes when the devil brings boils upon his body. He has to scrape them with a potsherd. So much pain, and the only relief that he would get would be to burst the boils. Scraping that thing off. And then the blood would run, then the stinging and the burning. His misery. He wished he hadn't been born. Read it. He wished God had never been born. But yet he never one time charged God foolishly. God never intended to destroy him. But there was a change coming. Job 42 Verses 5 and 6. Let's hear what happens at the end of this trial. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. He's talking to the Lord in his prayer. And he said, I've heard about you, God. Mm-hmm. I've heard about you through the hearing of the ear. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. But now my eye seeth thee. But now. But now. I got a vision of the uh-huh. Lord. Uh-huh. I've come in closer contact. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to hear somebody speak. But it's another thing to see them speak. It's one thing to be around them. But it's another thing to see what they're doing with your very naked eye. He said before, I only heard about God. And there are many that hear about God. They come to the house of the Lord and they hear about God. But yet still, they never get to know God. When trouble comes, they run to all of their vices, all of the drugs and the alcohol and the illicit sex and whatever else that can dull their mind. But yet when the great collision comes upon the child of God, like as Job, you fall on your patience and I don't have to understand, but I still am gonna magnify God. He may take away everything, including my health and my children and my wealth, but I still... I'm going to worship God. I heard. Read it for me again. Before, I just heard about you, God. But now, what does he say? I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. Heard about you. But now my eye seeth thee. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Oh, when I really see God. When I really see God. I look at my flesh and I say, oh God. And the great collision was intended to bring my flesh to subjection to the Spirit of God. I abhor myself. I hate myself. And what I've become in this person, 
I've not done all I should to please God. And I repent. Somebody said, I'm in great distress. I'm in great turmoil and there is no seeming way out. I don't know what I should do. I'll tell you what you do. You be like Job. You be like Job. God, I've heard about you. And now I want to see you. Lord, forgive me. Forgive me in my humanity. Forgive me in my doubt and my fear of walking so far from the will of God. Forgive me, Lord, and help me, Lord, that I can become close to you. Help me, O oh Lord, that I can seek after your face and know the perfect will of God. It'll never be accomplished as long as I'm in my flesh, fulfilling the needs and the lust and desires of the flesh. Oh, would you help me, God, and find my way clear to the perfect and divine will of God. The suffering that you endure is for just a moment. But if you can see Jesus after the suffering, you won't see him while you're suffering. All that you will see is the suffering. It'll be very difficult to see the Lord. But once you get through it by holding on to his hand, when you get on the other side, you'll be like Job. It said, well, I used to know about what I heard about you. But now, Lord, it's what I have seen you do in my life. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine. Sister Misty, would you come? I'm winding this down. First Corinthians. But as it is written. But as I, it is written. I hath not seen. I hath not seen. Nor ear heard. Nor ear heard. Neither have entered into the heart of man. It's not even entered into your heart. The things which God had prepared. The things which God hath prepared. For them that love him. For them that love him. Somebody said, well, that's talking about heaven. I believe it can include heaven. But I also believe it can include everyday life. Sometimes you hear me and you're not going to understand when I say. Sometimes God prepares the great collision. To save you from yourself. No one looks forward to the great collision. Oh, today is the day. I can hardly wait for the sound of breaking glass and crumpling metal. The destruction of all that is precious to me. I hath not seen, our ears heard. You can't even imagine the things that God's prepared for them that love Him. Because you see, once the great collision has come and it's done its work, 
anything that can be destroyed is going to be destroyed. Anything that can collapse will collapse. But the things that come from heaven, they're going to stand. They're going to stand. What's really real in your life is the only thing that's going to stand. Because you see, the great collision was a blessing in disguise. But would you read verse 9? But, excuse me, verse 10, but God. Read it for me. But God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit but God hath revealed them unto us what things the things that he's prepared for them that love him Mm -hmm. God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit Mm -hmm. for for the spirit searcheth all things for the spirit listen to me Mm -hmm. don't lose me right here come on the spirit searcheth all things yes and while the collision is happening Mm -hmm. and devastating And tearing apart the Spirit of God. He's looking at the heart. Mm -hmm. He's closely watching your heart Mm -hmm. to see that you are going to be everything you need to be. Mm -hmm. Come on. The Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. I dare say there are some here under the sound of my voice. You long for the deep things of God. The things that not many people have access to. Because you see where the deep things of God are is where the power of God rests. The secrets of God. He will not reveal them to just anyone, but only to those that he trusts. Because you see, it's possible to love and to not trust. For God so loved the world that he gave, but he didn't trust the sinner. Someone do me wrong, I'll forgive them, but I might not be able to trust them. That don't mean that I stop loving. Anybody around here had any kids or grandkids? You feel my pain. It happens. But if you want access to the deep things of God, be prepared for the great collision. Because God's removing things that don't belong. And replacing them with things that will never fall. For God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things. In this house is where I'm closing. Maybe your mind has already left the building. You're not listening to me anymore. 
Your mind's on what you got planned for the rest of the day. And your mind is gone, already headed down the highway. You listen to me today. God's searching your heart. While you sit in your chair, He's searching your heart. What will He find? What will He see? What will have to be removed before you can walk on streets of gold? Some people think that the only way to get to heaven is just to die. You don't have to do anything, just die. But the Word of God says that it's appointed unto a man wants to die. And after that, it's the judgment. So you don't just go straight to heaven. First of all, there'll be an accounting where God opens the book and begins to go through the things in which you did in your life and judge you according to these books, the 66 books of the Word of God. I want to be ready. Even if a collision comes, I've got to be ready. Would you stand with me today?